Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known. Don't know how to quite respond to that, huh? Someone just uh, shared with me a word they felt when we were singing, be exalted, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but uh, they just felt the Lord was saying that instead of exalting him so often in our lives, we keep pushing him further and further and further down, which is kind of a mistake, isn't it? But it was, it was just interesting to watch from behind as we were singing, be exalted, the spirits being lifted. It's amazing what happens when we just begin to exalt him in our lives. So I thought that was a good word. It was my word. Well, little Ricky came home from Sunday school one day, and uh, he was asked by his grandfather what he studied, and little Ricky replied, nothing. His grandfather said, didn't you study Jesus? And little Ricky replied, nah, Jesus wasn't even there. Some of you need to think about that for a moment. You're probably going, that's lame, okay? Well, if you think the jokes are lame, and I've had some complaints, and I'm not going to name who, you know who you are that's been complaining about the jokes. I'm always open to them, and some people have been giving me jokes, and I appreciate that. Once in a while, I've already told them, but, but if, if you think the jokes are lame, instead of whining and complaining about the jokes, you know, be part of the solution and give me a good joke, all right? So, all right, now that we've gotten that over with... We're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians uh, this morning. And we've been talking about the mind, and we're going to kind of finish up here. And I want to talk about the power of your thoughts. The power of your thoughts. Lord, I just thank you for just the incredible time of worship we've had. And again, we're just so blessed with the worship teams that we have. And I just thank you for them, Lord God. And I just thank you for all the volunteers that we have here. And now as we just turn to your word. Lord, there's so much power in your word, and I think we're going to see that this morning. So I just ask, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, that you would just fill this place, that you would fill us with a sense of expectancy about how your word can change us, what your word can do, and just how powerful it is. I ask that you fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, and I truly pray that we will just speak your words this morning, your words of life. So I thank you for what you're going to do now, and I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard for here for us to believe in the West that there is an enemy, a supernatural enemy, someone like Satan. But you know, it's interesting 
Peter himself wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Skip, can you put it up? He said, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. You know, Peter was really writing that firsthand. He experienced Satan's ability to turn a person, you know, inside and out. Uh, In Luke chapter 22, the scene is this. It's Jesus' final night on planet Earth, and uh, he uh, is in the upper room with his disciples. And at one point, he says this to the disciples. Listen to what he says now. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. You know, this conversation probably took place on Thursday night around 9 o'clock. This is the night that, you know, Jesus was betrayed. The next day he would be crucified. So it takes place at 9 o'clock or so. And Peter says, you know what? Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die with you. And you know what Jesus says to him? Really, Peter, really. You know, being in the ministry some 30 years, I have found perhaps the greatest mistake all of us make is that we overrate ourselves. (laughs) You ever notice that? And I'll tell you, that sets us up for Satan. We overrate ourselves. We kind of think that we are legends in our own mind, you know. And by 6 a.m. Friday morning, less than 10 hours, Peter goes from, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. And then he says, I don't even know you. I never even knew you. And, you know, then we're told this in Luke chapter 22 and verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter after he did this. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he wept, went outside and he wept bitterly. Skip put up the picture. Can you imagine that moment? It says that Jesus, he was passing in his trials. He looked straight at Peter. He saw Peter. Can you imagine? I mean, if I was Peter, I'd want to find a hole. I want to crawl in it and I want to die. You ever felt like that? I I mean, I can't imagine that moment. And the obvious question is this. How in the world, how in the world can Peter go from such bravado to such cowardice in such a short period of time? And and the answer is found again in verse 31. Skip, just put it up again. I want you to see. It says, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. What does that mean? What does it mean to have Satan asked to sift you as wheat. Well, that's actually, you know, a farmer term. It's, it's used in farming. And it's talking about separating the grain from the chaff. And what Satan was seeking to do was to separate Peter from his ability to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how in the world could Satan do this? Very simply, you saw in the video, he can plant thoughts in your mind. He planted thoughts in Peter's mind, incredible thoughts of fear. So much fear in Peter's mind that in less than 10 hours, he denies knowing his Lord. Not once, not twice, not three times. And we make a huge, huge mistake if we think that Satan can't sift us and do that to us. He can turn you inside out. He can turn me inside out. With his lies. His lies have a a tremendous ability to plant fear and doubt. His lies have the ability to make us do things we never thought that we would do. So please don't underrate them. And we've seen this over the last month and a half. We looked at the top 10 lies of Satan. And if you missed those messages, please, I just beg you to study them. 
You can just go to the BCC website, click media. You can listen to the podcast. You can, you know, watch it on video. It's just so important that you get this down. But this morning, I want to move to the positive. What should we? We know what we shouldn't be thinking about. What, what should we be thinking about? And Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, this. He says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And as I said, the key word there is think. That's not a suggestion. That's an imperative. Paul says that you and I need to think about what we're thinking about. And we need to be thinking the right kinds of thoughts. And he's going to give us five things, five areas that our thoughts should be focused on. So without any further ado, let's just look at him. First, he says, I want you to fix your thoughts. I want you to dwell on that which is true. If you want a sound mind, if you want a healthy mind, if you want a vibrant mind, if you want to live a victorious life, then your mind must be grounded in truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 30, true, you must know the truth. You must know it. It must be in here. You must walk in it. You must live it out. And then he says, you experience freedom. You experience real freedom and victory in your life. There is nothing more important than walking in truth. You know, too often I I hear people and they're listening to Oprah or Dr. Phil. Or how about Tony Robbins? We're listening to all kinds of stuff on the television. And this stuff is just infiltrating our minds. No, no, it's just infiltrating our minds. We're like a sponge. And it begins to have a really negative effect on our minds. Soon we have what I call a sick mind, a confused mind, because we have all this kind of half-truth and gossip and innuendo. And it's just, don't, don't think it doesn't affect you. It does. It affects all of us. Your mind is so extremely important. Let me ask you this question. Who was, what person was the most, you know, altogether person who ever walked the planet Earth. You know, he was, I like to say, the happiest person to ever walk planet Earth. Who was it? Well, why was it Jesus? Ever wondered? It's because Jesus walked in truth. Jesus only walked in truth. The reason why he walks in victory, the reason why he's having the overcoming life, and you can have it and I can have it, is if I'm walking in truth. I can't tell you how important right thinking is matters. It can change your life. It's not your, by the way, I just want you to not believe the law. It's not your circumstance that's bringing you down. It's how you think about it. It's how I think about it. Let's talk about Tony Evans for a moment. Skip, can you put up his picture? Tony Evans, he was a professor I had at Dallas, and as you can see, he's black. And (laughs) thought he liked that one. Now, if you know anything about black guys, they can preach. You haven't heard preaching. See, they put us white boys to shame. This guy can preach. Tony, if you've never heard Tony, you should hear Tony Evans. Seriously, he, he's worth hearing. And anyhow, uh, he's not only a, a pastor and a teacher, he writes books. But uh, one time he said, you know, men, uh, we, we've, we have believers in our church who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And he goes, I know they're believers, and they're just struggling. And he said, I found a place in New Jersey that does something interesting with people who are struggling with addiction. 
any kind, really, of addiction. He goes, we oftentimes send him up there. And here's what he had to say. He said, uh, this place is truly unique because what they do is they focus on the individual, not on the addiction. They do not let the drug addict's addiction define them. You see, if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, Evan says, then you are not an addict. You are a blood-bought child of the living God who has already given you victory over the addiction. And Evans went on to say this. He said, the staff at this drug rehab continually reinforces this central truth. Every time they see the patient, the patient is to identify themselves not as a drug addict, but as a blood-bought child of God who has already won the victory. Now, here's the interesting part. He said, it takes usually about a month, about a month. But eventually, here's the interesting thing. He says that, you know, the patient actually begins to believe what they're telling the staff member. It takes about a month, but they keep saying it, they keep saying it, they keep saying it. And in about a month, they actually begin to believe what they're telling the staff member. And they says, you know what? Victory over the drug, victory over the addiction follows. That is the power of truth. The reason why Jesus is free and victorious is he's walking in truth. Here is truth. This is his book. And that's why I just, you know, I I, I will continue to challenge you to read this. Just take the book of Romans. Just take the book of Romans and just read it. One chapter a day, one chapter a day, but really study, just meditate on, and allow the truth to get inside, and it begins to change you and transform you, but we got to move on. Now, Paul says there's a second thing that we need to focus on. We need to fix our thoughts on that, which he said is honorable. That's a kind of an interesting word in the Greek. It literally carries the idea of focusing on those things that are important, those things that are lasting, those things that are eternal versus those things that are temporal and not lasting, those things that are worldly. In fact, Paul said this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And Paul is saying, you want a healthy mind, Frank? You really want a healthy mind? Then focus on the things that matter. Don't focus on the worldly thing. The world focuses on power. It focuses on money. It focuses on those things ultimately in fame that don't matter in eternity. John G. Patton. Skip, can you put up this picture? You probably don't know John G. Patton, but you certainly ought to know John G. Patton. He uh, lived in Scotland and on April 16th in 1858 at the age of 33, Patton with his wife sailed to the New Hebrides. You say, well, where are the New Hebrides? The New Hebrides are a series of small islands off of the coast of the continent of Australia. And at that time, the New Hebrides was full of headhunters. So this guy was taking his wife, can you imagine this, to minister to headhunters. Four years later, he's driven off the island, and he leaves with his wife, and now he has a son. They both have a high fever, and on the way home, they die. They die. Four years later, John G. Patton sails back to the New Hebrides with a new wife. Same headhunting tribe. And now get this, they labor six years, six years, and they finally win their first convert after six years. Now, later, a great revival broke out from that. But you have to say, 
What kind of sane person is going to sit there and spend six years, six years seeing no fruit? And listen to what Patton said about that. He said this. Life, any life would well be spent under any conceivable conditions in bringing one human soul to know and love and serve Jesus, thereby securing for yourself at least one temple where your name and memory would be held forever and ever in affectionate praise. A regenerated heart in heaven. That fame will prove immortal when all the poems and all the monuments and all the pyramids of earth have gone to dust. Now see, that's a man who was fixing his thoughts on that which is honorable. That's a healthy mind. Moving on, Paul then challenges us to fix our thoughts, to fix our minds on that which is right, on that which is right. (laughs) You know, several years ago, the elders had a kind of a tough decision to make about the church in its direction. And, and uh, you know, there was kind of a God sighting. If we ever videoed the elder meetings, you'd probably be kind of discouraged. But, you know, kind of looks like the seven stooges. I don't know. But anyhow, the God sighting was Matt Molossi actually said something wise. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I don't actually know what elder said this. But... The elder said, and I've never forgotten, and it's true of anything. The elder said, you know, all we got to do is actually answer two questions. He said, the first question is this. What is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do is the first question we need to answer. And the second question is, what is the right way to do it? What is the right thing to do, and what is the right way to do it? And I don't know what you're facing. I, I bet you, you have a circumstance or circumstances right now. And all you really need to do is say, okay, Lord... What is the right thing to do? And by the way, so often that answer is found right here, at least the principles of it. So what are the right things to do? And then what is the right way to do it? And you know what the right way to do it is? Love. See, the only question I ever need to ask myself, whether it's dealing with Susan, I mean, I I could do a marriage seminar real quick. Whether it's a business situation, whether it's any conflict you're having is, How would love act or respond in this situation? That's all we need to do. Life is so blessedly simple when we just do it God's way. All right. Paul then moves on. And he challenges us, fourthly, to fix our thoughts to dwell on that which is pure. Now, I did an in-depth word study of the word pure this week. And after studying and studying the word pure in the Greek, you know what I found out it means? It means pure. Isn't that amazing? It means pure. It means, ladies and gentlemen, without blemish, without mixture, without defect. It means undefiled. It means pure. And guess what? There's not a person in here who doesn't really want purity. Skip, can you play the video? Excuse me. Do you mind taking part in an experiment? We're actually testing people's preference for water. Would you rather drink from this bottle of water or from this bottle? Well, there's actually there's six mouths on it right now. 
Which one would you rather drink from? This <laughs> one or this one? Sure, this one? Why? Because I don't know where that mouth be. Well, I, I don't know. This one looked pretty good. Everybody seemed to like it. <laughs> I'm sure they did, man, but I'll go with that You instead. know what? I, I think I have good authority. Only one of those people is really sick. What about if I give you five bucks to drink from this one? Five bucks? Five bucks. No. How about if I give you five dollars to drink from this one? No. No? This one? No, thank you. I, I think I still want that one. How about ten dollars? Ten dollars no. to drink out of this no. one? No. Ten dollars? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. No. Ten dollars? Ten dollars wouldn't do. No. <laughs> Five bucks. Ten bucks? Uh, no thanks. You, you want know. the pure one? Oh yeah. All right. Here you go. Oh, thank you. All right. <laughs> See, purity does matter. No, no. Purity matters, and it matters to you. It matters to me. Purity matters in the water that I drink, and in the water that you drink. Purity matters in our food, doesn't it? We care about how pure our food is. Purity matters in our marriages. You want your partner pure. Purity, by the way, matters even to you and me. Do you realize that we want to be clean? So many years ago, the Hebrew prophet Isaiah said, Come reason with me. Though your sins be as scarlet, Oh, your sins, your insides be as scarlet. I can make them as white as snow. Wouldn't that feel good to have snow? That feeling on the inside. Everybody wants that. That's what purity is. And the only way you're going to be pure, and I'm going to be pure, is if my mind is clean. And so, see, when I feed my mind junk, whether it's what I'm watching, whether it's who I'm around, whether it's what I'm reading, see, then I become unpure. Impure, guess what happens? Then I begin to have impure thoughts, then I begin to have impure actions, and I loathe myself, and so do you, and you loathe yourself. This famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. You know what that means? See, when you're pure in heart, you experience the living God then. There's not a person in here that doesn't want that supernatural life. But see, it only, only is released. See, when I'm pure, then I see God. Then I experience his life. And it all starts with the mind. Well, Paul says this. He says, fifthly, Paul says, we need to fix our thoughts and dwell on that which is lovely and admirable. And in the Greek, those two words are virtually synonymous. And it can be summed up in our English word winsome. Paul says we need to think about ways that we can be winsome. You know, when I was uh, uh, in college, I majored in uh, history and minored in psychology. My mom had been a secular psychologist. And you always want to make your parents happy who's paying the bill. So that's just a free tip for those of you going into college. You want to make the, the money winner you know, who's paying your bill happy. So I decided to minor in psychology, and I remember taking uh, one psychology class, and the prof actually said something kind of interesting. The professor said, you know what? You can divide humanity into three groups of people. He said, uh, the first type of person is the drainers. He goes, these people drain you of your energy. They are generally negative. They tend to talk about themselves. They have an opinion on almost everything. And worst of all, they are totally unaware that the people around them are thinking 101 ways they can get away from them. Drainers comprise about 30% of the population. 
The professor then said the second kind of person are the neutral people, the neutrals. These people are what their names suggest. They are kind of just there. They neither drain you nor energize you. You don't dislike being around them, but you don't look forward to being with them either. The neutrals comprise about 40% of the population. And finally then the professor said the third group of people are the energizers. These people give you energy. They fill your gas tank. They give you life. They give you hope. And he said, sadly, only about 20% of the American population are energizers. You know who they are because everybody likes to be around them. Winsome people are energizers. Not too long ago, I read about this uh, uh, resident at a hospital and. And what made this guy unusual is all the children just loved this resident. I mean, the moment the resident would come walking in the room, the kids' eyes, they would just light up. They just liked being around this resident. I mean, uh, they they would do things for this resident. They, They would actually listen and obey the resident. None of the staff members at the hospital had this kind of effect on the children. And so the administrators, you know, uh, are trying to figure out, what is this guy's secret? So they actually had a nurse, you know, just kind of trail him and figure out what is the secret of this resident. And here's what's the secret of this resident. This resident, on his final round in the evening, on his last round, he would go into each of the children's room. He would kiss them on the head. He would hug them. And then he would just tuck them into bed. And he did that night after night. And you say, well, that's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. Because you see, that simple act caused those kids to be so drawn to him. Just to fall in love with them. That's what winsomeness is. You see, winsome people have the ability to take the focus on themselves and put it onto the others. They make the person in front of them feel like a million bucks. Maybe it's just smiling. Do you know what it does when you just smile at somebody? When you just smile, or you just laugh, or you just take the time to listen to another person, or you do something for another person that's beneficial to them. You see, that's winsomeness. This, you know, resident, he had a winsome personality, and the Apostle Paul tells us winsomeness in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. Remember these verses so many months ago? He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take the interest in others too. That's winsomeness. And Paul says we need to think about how can I be winsome? Can you imagine if you just started thinking about how you could be winsome with your spouse or your children? Just how your relationships would change? I mean, it's amazing. It's just small things like that. Well, Paul finishes up. In verse 8 with these words, and this is kind of the challenge this morning. Skip, put it out. He says this, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You know, those two words, they kind of sum up the last five words that we just talked about. The last five areas that we're to think about. And what Paul is saying here is that anything that is worthy, is excellent or worthy of praise, he's saying anything that glorifies God. Anything that glorifies God. Anything that advances his kingdom. He said, if we begin to think on those things... You're going to live victoriously. And he gives a promise, though. It's very interesting. So he says, if I and you begin to think about, wait a minute, how can I glorify God in my life in this situation? 
How can I expand his kingdom in this situation? Watch the promise now. I want you to see the promise given. Here it is. Skip, put it up. Keep putting into practice all that you learned. We've just talked about all you received from me, everything you heard from me and, and saw me doing. So in other words, Paul was practicing this. Then what, what does it say? Then the God of... Wow, that was powerful. Woo! You guys smoked it. Then the God of... It's shalom. You know what shalom is? You want shalom this morning? I bet you there's a lot of us right now are desperate for shalom. Uh, for me, there's nothing worse than being on pins and needles. You ever have that pit in your stomach? Full of anxiety, full of fear. And it's amazing. I don't have to live that way, and neither do you. Paul said, if I fix my thoughts on the right things that we just talked about, the end result is shalom. God wants you and I to have shalom. You know what shalom is? It's a combination of contentment and satisfaction. Isn't that wonderful? To be content and to be satisfied. God wants that for you and he wants that for me. But it all starts here. And if we start to think on the right things, that can happen. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Ah, just, I still even sense a wall, Lord, that we're not quite getting it. We're letting it in our heads, but we're blocking it with our hearts. We don't realize our life could change this morning. And we keep trying to change the circumstance. Wrong thing. It's our thinking that needs to change. All that, I'm just asking even now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to take that powerful truth that it's not my circumstance, it's my thinking. That's the problem about the circumstance. That we could begin to turn our lives around and quit being discouraged and depressed and under the circumstances. You know, that's where so many of us live, under the circumstances. What a lousy place. You challenge us to live above the circumstances. And that's where Jesus lived. And we can live there if we begin to fill our minds with things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Oh, will you speak to us during this last song now, I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.